It's good to be here with you. Uh, I had been here many years back at the invitation of the president to consult with some of the needs of international students. So it's good to be back this time at the invitation of the university. And I don't know how the word got to the seminary, so I got double duty and double blessing. Uh, it's interesting that uh, I knew I would be here, but God seems to be reminding me I should be at Asbury because last month I was at a mission conference of Anglicans. I'm an Anglican, and we were at a mission conference, and I came across a, a business card. And of course, I was attracted by the Asbury Theological Seminary. So I said, oh, that's interesting. I wonder whose business card that is. So I read it and kept it. And then the next day, I came across another business card. The same person. And I said, that's interesting, so I will keep that too. Well, before the day was over, I got another business card. <laughs> Is this a strategy? <laughs> Are we acting like the Holy Spirit by spreading our business card all over the place? But I do want to meet the Reverend Michael Matlock, PhD, professor of inductive Bible studies. Your business cards are all over the place. <laughs> In case you need more, I have three extras. <laughs> But it's, it's wonderful. I said, oh my, I really got excited. Okay. And then on the last meal before driving back, I sat next to this man and found out that he was a bishop in uh, northwest of Nigeria. And he was a graduate of where else? Asbury Theological Seminary. And I said, oh, I'm going to be there. And quickly, I said, do you have any word to say to the seminary? So I captured him on video for five minutes. Don't have time to show that, but here's what he said. Asbury is a very, very wonderful place. I would not have had my Dimmon degree were it not for the full scholarship that Asbury gave me. I was exposed to different contexts since I had people in my cohort from 10 different countries. His dissertation was on Christian leadership in the context of Christian and Muslim context. He says that Asbury, after Asbury, after his return, there are no more crises in his area. We are talking a lot today. That's amazing. Through what he received from this seminary, he had returned and become a peacemaker as a bishop, Bishop Marcus M. Dogo. And then he also had a message. There are two remaining Nigerians, he says, at the seminary. Please tell them we're waiting for you to return home. Okay, so now my courier job is done. I can now proceed to what I was asked to do. Uh, it's interesting that the U.S. is classified as one of the most geographically mobile countries in the world. 
about one in four U.S. adults reported moving within the country in the, la- in the past five years. Also, that in your lifetime, we move at least more than f- 11 times as American residents. And my husband and I counted how many times we had moved and realized we had done it uh, eight times in our almost 38 years of marriage. So we still have three more moves to make, to make the average. So moving around and being residents in a foreign land is not new in scripture. The movement of God's people, either by God's command, Abraham did that, by personal choice, mother's choice for Moses as a displaced infant on the river, or Naomi who left Bethlehem for Moab, or through conquest, like Daniel, Esther, and other slaves. There's a lot of movement going on around the world. The word diaspora is now more and more used in missions. The diaspora people, people on the move. There are 1.3 million international students in the United States. A lot bigger than when I was a graduate student. Larger number. Nancy Slosberg, who is an adult transition expert, describes that transition are those events or non-events. She describes non-events are those events that you wish would happen but didn't happen. Wishing you were married and you're not. Wishing to get that job and you didn't. So those events and or non-events that alter our roles, our relationships, and our assumptions. So we, we kind of know what that's like. You move from Georgia, you move from Oklahoma to come here, and it altered some of those assumptions and those relationships and roles. And I think scripture has a lot to tell us about transition and what that's like. Now, for international students, and forgive the mess I'm going to make, because I'd like to show you what internationals experience, and possibly you too. I love the idea of uh, describing that our transition is like being uprooted, voluntarily being uprooted. So the best way to describe it is to actually uproot something in your presence. So this plant is going to be uprooted from its native, familiar culture and environment. This plant goes through culture shock, I understand, from people who work with plants. Its roots are exposed and you feel so vulnerable. For international students who come, we are expected to make it to the land of the free. Many times we are not noticed and we are hidden in this pot. And we try to make that transition work for us. Whether you move from Georgia to here, you still feel the uprooting and the transplanting. So what does God say about transition? So our passage in Joshua 24 speaks of a transition that was going to happen, about to happen in uh, the life of Israel. It begins with Joshua assembling the tribes of Israel, Joshua 24, 1, at Shechem. 
He summoned the elders, the leaders, the judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. This is a very serious event. This is not just making a press release that we need a new leader. This is a spiritual moment where they presented themselves to God, and there's going to be a change. At this time, Joshua was 110 years old. We all remember Joshua 24, 15, because in it we say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It's open, engraved in plaques, printed in posters, quoted in cards, stitched and framed as a reminder of the choice of a very influential man in the Old Testament. We know that Joshua was the successor to Moses, who led the people out of Egypt. Although his original name meant salvation, Moses changed it to the God who saves. He led Israel to possess possess the promised land. And the whole book of Joshua, as a reminder, is a story of conquest and fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham long ago when he said, the whole land of Canaan, where you are now an alien, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you, and I will be their God. So chapter 24 is actually part of a larger address, possibly beginning in chapter 23. So transition is about to happen. Joshua assembled the leaders and began to recall God's deeds in their midst. He recalled to them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says, long ago your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River. And then he moves on to say, I took your father, Abraham, from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him through Canaan and gave him many descendants. I gave him Isaac. I assigned the hill country. And I sent Moses, I delivered you. Active verbs that reminded the people of Israel who was at work on their behalf. So the first part is a recall. Remember what God has done. And uh, he was the spiritual leader, and it's an honor to be addressing spiritual leaders here at Asbury. Spiritual influence, I believe, is affecting people Godward. It is acquired over a period of time of being with God, knowing and serving him in the context of life's victories and defeats, and being in a community of people who love and worship him. So Joshua's spiritual influence grew by being in the thick of God's miraculous intervention and deliverance. He was old enough to have been born in Egypt and therefore knew from experience all about the Passover and the crossing of the Red Sea. He had experienced firsthand victory as he fought against the Amalekites who attacked the Israelites. He learned the source of victory was dependent on Moses' holding his hand up, which was the symbol of appeal to God for help. So such experience gave him confidence. And we have gathered enough narratives if we combine our life stories of God's interventions and miracles and victories in our own lives. 
So God formed a leader in Joshua, one who watched God's power at work through his willingness and courage to fight the enemies and boldly speaking for God and his cause. It's interesting that they met at a place called Shechem. You know, in scripture, nothing seems to be random. There are certain places with meaning. You know, I'm at the nice, beautiful Windsor Manor, that guest house. If you have a chance and you're allowed, go take a peek. And I sat there this morning and I said, wow, nothing is random here. Everything is placed beautifully. Every piece of art, I would stand there and study. Every piece of furniture. And I said, this is not like my house. I could say, that was from a yard sale. That was from someone's gift. Nothing was from a yard sale in that place. (laughs) I know, because those antiques, I tell you, are worth thousands, maybe even more than that. Anyway, Shechem, this is the first Palestinian site mentioned in Genesis when Abraham built an altar to remember God's appearance and promise that he would give him land, give the land to him. So a place to remember God's promise. But this was also the place where Jacob buried foreign gods that God commanded his household to get rid of. So a place of promise and a place once upon a time of commitment. Those foreign gods are not part of us and they all happen at Shechem. So the place linking God's promise and God's demand of loyalty and faithfulness. So once again, the Israelites were faced with a choice. So here is transition. Something is about to change. And the book of Joshua tells us, remember. When we are facing change, when things are just changing in the midst of us and we feel like in the middle of this huge earthquake and your foundation is being challenged and it's shifting, remember. Look back. All of scripture we are told to remember because we are people Tend, who tend to be suffering from amnesia. We forget what God has done on our behalf. We forget his faithfulness. We forget the answers to our prayer. We for, forget the people who helped us. And so when facing transition, those events and non-events that alter our roles, assumptions, and relationships, remember This is the God who carried you. This is the God who opened the door for you. This is the God who supplied your scholarship. This is the God who granted you a visa to come here. This is the God who provided housing for you and many more. Remember is the word for us when we're facing transition. And then Joshua brings them to a crossroads. Okay. Now that you remember, choose you this day whom you will serve. This is the land of choices, many choices. But for Joshua, it's either the gods or the living God. The gods where you came from, 
your forefathers or the God of Canaan where you're living from? Are you living now at that time? See, the gods of the Egyptians were diviners, soothsayers. They were uh, gods that would tell you the future. They were gods enshrined, and you have to wake them up in the morning, dress them up for their duties of the day. And Canaan had Baal as their god, sex, cults, child sacrifice that people worshipped. And Joshua says, neither these gods nor these gods, don't give your souls to another, we sang, but to this living God. As for me and my house, we have made a choice. I will not be taken by the lure and attraction of the God where I came from, the Philippines, or the God that I have now that worships affluence and efficiency and dollars and achievements. I will not bow to those gods. As for me and my house, I will serve the living God. And the people said, oh, yes, of course, far from that being a reality. We will do that, Joshua. And Joshua, in effect, was saying, not too fast, dear friends. I want to remind you who this God is, because this God is a jealous God. This God tolerates no rivals. Don't think that you can just have this living God Monday, Wednesday, Friday, and continue to have your affairs on other days. This God demands full, 100% all of your life and attention and devotion. He was reminding the Israelites, remember what I did, what God did, and now I want you to recommit. So when faced with transition, I suggest let's go back and remember. Look back at that journal that you were faithfully writing on recording what God has done, and recommit our lives to this living God. Tell him that he is the only one that matters. And I remember many years back in the Philippines, my parents are tailors or were tailors, and our house had the front as a tailor shop, and a curtain divides the dining room, Uh, from the tailor shop, and I would go upstairs for our bedrooms. So one day I came home, and I usually just kind of sneak in and draw the curtains to see who's what's cooking or where my mom was. My father was not in the front. Usually he would be cutting, you know, uh, the tailor-made materials that people had asked him to do. But this time I see my parents around this table, with a guest. I didn't know who he was, never seen him before. And the guest had spread out these cards in front of my parents. I said, what are they doing? My parents were awestruck, just focused on those cards. I went upstairs and there was this righteous indignation. What is going on downstairs? I think that's a fortune teller. That man is telling my parents, this is going to be the future for you. And 
I sat there, and I want you to know that I'm six, uh, number six of seven children. In effect, in an army, I'm the private. <laughs> so if you have to disagree or confront, it has to be done pro- properly, and you don't uh, disagree, you don't uh, shame people in public. But this jealous God was staring inside me this anger, and so I went downstairs. The boldness that comes from God's spirit, and I drew that curtain, and I gathered those cards, and I said, excuse me, but in this house, we believe in the living God, not in your cards. So please, you may leave now. So... I threw him out of my house. I think I was more shocked than he was. He laughed speedily. My parents, I'm sure, was partly ashamed and stunned. But that was a reminder to my parents that this living God has no rival. No compromises to be made. And so, my friends, whenever we face that transition, maybe it's next semester, next year, or even now, let us remember, let us recommit. He is the living God, and he deserves all that we are and all that we have. Thank you. Let me pray for us. Living God, thank you for revealing yourself to us in Jesus Christ. Thank you for empowering us with your Holy Spirit and equipping us to live this life as we focus our attention and our devotion on you, our living God. So together in this chapel, on this day, at this hour, We want to say, we want to serve the living God. And we throw away and we say no to any idols that want to compete and creep into our hearts and minds. In Jesus' name, amen.